0: It is Friday, May 15th, and we are talking about Uber's reported plans to buy Grubhub and the meal delivery space. I'm your host, Don Lewis, and I'm joined by fool.com's just okay, Brian Froley. Brian, you put that in there. I didn't put that in the outline.
1: This is how the people know me. I have to be consistent, (laughs) right? (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's right. No, that's a that's a long-standing joke between Brian and I. Brian is exceptional, and I think anyone who who watches the member live stream that we have knows that he's been an absolute star on that. Um, Brian, Not according uh, you know, to what
1: you just read, Dylan, according to you, <laughs> I'm just okay, and I'm happy with that.
0: It's the danger of a direct quote. Um, so, so Brian, you know, we talk stocks. Uh, sometimes I have you come on, and we and we pitch stocks to people, um, and then every now and then, news happens that is just so fantastic to talk about. And in this case, earlier this week, we got news uh, that Uber is in talks to buy Grubhub at a roughly $6 billion valuation. Um, I, in some ways, a surprising piece of news, in, in some ways, not a surprising piece of news. We're going to, kind of, explore all of that on today's show. Uh, but, but Grubhub is a company that you're very familiar with.
1: Yeah, we actually did a deep dive on this company or a semi-deep dive on this company uh, in June of 2018, believe it or not, almost two years ago. Boy, did that go by fast. Um, And uh, we got reports that something like this may have been happening uh, in January of this year. Uh, So this seems to be much more serious now, given the reports we've seen so far. But uh, Grubhub for a little while there, uh, for a couple years there, was a Wall Street darling, growing like crazy, profitable. Uh, I actually was a shareholder. Uh, for a couple of years. But the last, let's say, 18 months uh, haven't been nearly as pretty. So I was a little surprised to see this news, but I wasn't shocked.
0: Yeah. Let's, kind of, dig into the history on Grubhub, because this is a company that I, I followed a little bit. I actually, I pitched it, I think I went back and looked and it was in a roundtable in 2014. Um, so, uh, based on the cost basis back then, that, would, that actually would have been a pretty decent pick. Uh, but depending on when you decided to buy the shares, if you're a shareholder, um, you might not be as happy with the company's performance. Um, this, this company goes back a lot further than I think most people think of modern food delivery and the app-based food delivery economy.
1: Yeah, so the company, uh, so GrubHub as it exists today was founded in 2004 uh, by Matt Maloney, who is still the CEO to this day. Uh, I love the founding story here. So he is a uh, a coder and he was going home from work and he wanted to get a bite to eat. And he asked himself, why do I still have to use a phone and carry paper menus in my house to place an order at a restaurant? It just seems so archaic. Uh, So he developed. Uh, he created Grubhub to basically solve his own problem. He wanted to be able to order food fast, uh, quickly, and and through, uh, through, uh, through the, the website. And that's what he created. Um, and, you know, you fast forward to today, the company has been hugely successful at signing up restaurants uh, and uh, consumers. And on the surface, the, this, this platform just makes so much sense. Uh, the consumer uh, gets access to thousands of restaurants and menus. They don't have to place an order over the phone. They don't have to go on hold. They can do everything right through a nice app. Uh, the restaurant theoretically wins because they get a full-priced meal and they get to use their kitchen uh, to produce uh, more food. It's it's in theory a great profit for them. I know we're going to talk about that later. Uh, and then Grubhub just takes a commission uh, to kind of match up buyer, buy and seller. So. The company currently has over three hundred thousand restaurants in its network. It's in four thousand uh, cities uh, in the U.S. Uh, and London. It, uh, as of last quarter, twenty-four million active buyers, and they they do more than five hundred thousand daily active Grubs uh, per day, and one point six billion in uh, in sales in gross food sales last quarter. So, a sizable business.
0: I love that, the, uh, the daily active grubs. I, I think that that's such a great uh, internal uh, non-gap metric. It's a, it's a fun little nickname for things. Um, and, and this is a business that I, I think in the last, you know, maybe two months, if you didn't know about Grubhub, you're probably aware of it now.
1: Yeah, they, no, no surprise, right? Uh, people are stuck at home. I know that we are ordering out more than ever before. Uh, so these guys had a huge uptick in uh, the number of daily active uh, diners. Uh, to that uh, makes complete sense. They they are one of the market. Uh, they are one of the market leaders. So completely understandable why daily active diners has just skyrocketed.
0: Um, I think Grubhub's management is the owner of what might be one of the most interesting. Pull quotes uh, I've ever seen in a conference call, uh, an earnings conference call. And I think it was within the last year, their management team found that their users and diners were quote unquote promiscuous and they were not loyal to uh, simply Grubhub uh, as an app. And that quote really speaks to what is going on in the food delivery space. Um, What we have seen over the last 10 years is, you know, Grubhub came out in 2004, came out to this huge advantage, um, because there weren't really a lot of players there, and they really dominated food delivery for a really long time. Uh, a lot of people have looked and said, you know, that's a pretty interesting market, we're going to hop in there, too.
1: Yeah. And throughout this company's history, it, it has known since basically day one that this would likely be a winner-take-most market. So, it actually has been very uh, acquisitive, over time. I mean, it has a number of different um, uh, uh, properties under its, under its Grubhub name. So, they've purchased uh, Seamless, uh, Level Up, Eat 24 4 All Menus, uh, Menu Pages. So, that's been a big part of the company's strategy uh, over time. And I was under the impression that being the top dog would be a uh, huge competitive advantage. Uh, to your point there, boy, has that not been the case. Uh, recently we've seen so much competition come in for the likes of DoorDash, Waiter, Uber Eats, Postmates, Caviar. So this is a very competitive market. It is.
0: And and I think that if you look at market share over time for Grubhub, it really tells a story. I mean, they owned this space. Their their market share in 2018 was over 50% and that's cuz they were the first one there. They were the they were the big player and kind of the OG if you're thinking about uh, the delivery food market. Um, They had basically a 10-year lead on Uber Eats and DoorDash, and then things started getting a little bit crowded. Um, They are not the market leader, really, in the same way anymore. And uh, this space is actually quite similar to the ride-hailing space that, that Uber is currently operating in, where it is brutally cutthroat, and for a long time you've had a lot of private companies um, that were essentially subsidized by venture capital dollars and able to very aggressively market to try to eat away at the legacy players.
1: And that has worked. That strategy has completely worked. You look at uh, Caviar and Uber Eats in particular. Those guys have come in in a big way, signed up restaurants, and just stolen a huge chunk of GrubHub's uh, market right from underneath it. And. Uh, you know, I full disclosure, I was a shareholder for several years, but I, I exited a couple of uh, months ago uh, prior to this buyout uh, speculation because I just felt that I was completely wrong about this company's competitive advantage. I thought that they had a really strong uh, position, but that the promiscuous quote, right, coming back to bite them, uh, that's exactly what we've seen. And over the last couple of months, uh, Grubhub has had to invest hugely in marketing and sales to kind of keep it top of mind with consumers. Uh, so, that just has eroded profitability. This company used to be highly profitable. Last quarter, it actually provided, uh, reported a net loss.
0: So, so, Brian, I think maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised about this, given the history of Grubhub being fairly acquisitive. But also, I, we have seen speculation about more consolidation in this space for a long time.
1: Yeah. Again, throughout Grubhub's history, it has been highly acquisitive. So it's it's purchased its its way to growth. So that kind of tells uh, tells me from the outset that this is a market that will naturally eventually go towards one or two big players. I mean, how many apps do you want on your phone to order to order food? I would just want one. Uh, personally, uh, and I know that millions of other people uh, feel the same way, but you, the, there is apparently um, consumers are very willing to do two or three apps, and they're very price sensitive. Uh, so that that surprised me. But you know this. Uh, last year, uh, Square made the smart move of selling its, its food delivery service uh, Caviar to, for $410 to DoorDash. That should have been a big signal to me that maybe this business isn't as great as I thought it was. Uh, but I wasn't smart enough to take that as a clue. Uh, but yeah, we, we've seen a lot of uh, M&A in this, in, this, in this sector. So, I put a lot of, I, I put a lot of belief behind uh, Uber is serious about this offer and that a deal will probably eventually happen.
0: So I'm just going to hop in there and say it was 410 million dollars that Square uh, caviar sale. Did I say sale. billion? <laughs> no, 410 period. Uh, uh, which <laughs> which would have been a very large write down uh, for Square, uh, given that they bought caviar for 90 million dollars in 2014. But but you look at that; it's like yes. you know, Square Square with that sale uh, might be one of the few people to be making money in meal delivery, having having sold something for about four times what they paid for it. Um, so that wound up working out fairly well to them. Uh, but we've also seen the other apps out there. You know, we we talked about the private players. Um, Postmates is one of those names. And there were rumors in 2019 that they were exploring a sale to either Uber or DoorDash, rather than going public. um, I think a lot of the companies here are kind of just waiting for the music to start so they can start playing musical chairs, because they all kind of know what's happening.
1: Yeah, I think they all kind of understand it at this point. Um, I mean, again, it's really telling that last quarter, uh, Grubhub, theoretically, you couldn't have period a better environment for Grubhub with with basically every restaurant in America forced to go to um, delivery and takeout, and yet they still couldn't post a profit because they were spending so uh, so heavily. So it's kind of a goldilocks scenario for them uh, right now. So I think that consolidation is inevitable uh, in in the industry. The question is going to be at this point: uh, price, what, what, how much, how much are they willing to accept? Uh, and Equally as importantly, what do regulators think about this? Because this isn't exactly a slam dunk on the regulatory side. We've actually seen a lot of pushback from states and cities.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and like, I can understand that because, you know, if you're talking about the thesis being a, a one winner take all kind of market, um, what that ultimately means is that the prices that people have gotten used to paying for this aren't probably going to stay where they are, you know, they're going to go up. Um, and that speaks to, kind of, one of the systemic problems with this market, where um, it doesn't really seem like anyone's making money, and it doesn't really seem like anyone's happy with the current arrangement. You know, you you look at the restaurants, and those are businesses that have razor-thin margins to begin with. and um, the Grubhub and, and several other of these delivery apps have caught a lot of flack recently for the percentage of uh, sales that they're taking <clears throat> from these restaurants, who, who, you know, often are mom-and-pop shops and don't have a lot of money to spend to begin with. Um, and so, you know, restaurants aren't happy. The delivery apps, to your point earlier, aren't profitable. And maybe the only folks that are happy right now are the customers, because you know they're able to play between a whole bunch of these different apps and just go with whatever's cheap. But um, I have to think if there's consolidation that that means that ultimately customers are going to be paying more, and that's the kind of thing that regulators tend to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, the market will rationalize itself. But to your point about uh, this not being well worked out for restaurants, um, on Grubhub's platform, we've seen commissions as high as 40%. Uh, based on based on some sales, and you know we've seen a number of municipalities really start to push back uh, against that. Actually, New York City uh, just passed a bill that capped delivery fees. Um, we've seen the same thing happen in San Francisco uh, and Seattle. Other restrictions are already in places in Chicago, in L.A. I mean, obviously, this is not great news for Grubhub, and they're pushing back and saying this is killing innovation, and um, you know they can't they can't operate on these levels. And and these the, what we're seeing is um, these municipalities are putting in, uh, saying that there there can only be a fifteen percent markup on on deliveries uh, on that, and if they do that, you take a uh, the uh, the economics that already don't work and you make them really even even more challenging. Uh, so if that happens, you know what does Uber what does Uber think of that? Does that give them a huge leverage to really push down the price? Uh, we don't know. So a lot of question marks.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that anyone that's you know, not familiar with the story with Grubhub and, and these delivery apps and, and the flack that they've caught, should check it out. I mean, it's it's worth looking into. I know Fool.com's Evan New has done a lot of writing on this. Um, it's it's a space that he covers pretty closely. But there are there are operational things that these companies do that warrant commissions, and then there are tactics that some of them have used that are, I think, beyond the pale. And one of the ones that caught a lot of attention recently was, you know, these apps uh, basically putting websites together that looked quite a bit like the restaurant's websites um, and and were almost masquerading as the restaurant's websites, and, you know, complete with phone numbers that were actually, you know, Grubhub or DoorDash numbers or what have you, but um, routed to the restaurant. And the delivery apps were collecting a commission on every call going in, regardless of whether those calls actually led to sales. And very often these were, you know, $5 or something like that for every single call. And some of them were just informational questions, you know, people being like, you know, do you have Crab Rangoon? And, uh, you know, for, for a restaurant to have to pay $5 for that is, is clearly not fair. Um, and, and I think, as is the case with a lot of gig economy-type businesses, these businesses have innovated very quickly and maybe asked questions second and you know we're we're seeing now when they're kind of on full display that there are some cracks in how they've been operating
1: yeah these things only work if all of the major stakeholders benefit from them right so it it only works if Consumers are happy, restaurants are happy, and drivers are happy, and Grubhub uh, is happy. From what we've seen thus far, Grubhub and some others are doing a bad job at kind of balancing out those those stakeholders. So, yeah, that's another reason why this market this market is just going to be uh, challenging and. Uh, I- I think again, consolidation. I think there is a market here. people clearly want to order from home. People clearly like the the convenience um, what the ultimate pricing works like and what the economics look like that we're not nearly as, uh, as as sure about.
0: Yeah, and it solves a problem for restaurants, right? I mean it's it's expensive for a restaurant to have a dedicated delivery person. Uh, you know, running orders, and, and it's probably inefficient. You know, the idea is that a platform can probably do this better, probably do it more efficiently, um, but it also needs to be something where the restaurants are able to continue to make money, uh, especially the smaller ones who don't really have access to a lot of capital to begin with. Um, we we talked about some of the terms the deal here with, with Uber and Grubhub, but I think it's worth digging into it a little bit. That sticker figure that you're going to see heavily reported is a $6 billion deal. And Brian, that's actually a pretty sizable premium from where Grubhub was prior to all this speculation. As you mentioned before, the stock had fallen off quite a bit over the last year or so.
1: Yeah, I'm curious where that number was actually compared to uh, Grubhub's all-time high. So. Give me a second where I looked that up. <laughs> I wasn't prepared yeah, to go and, backwards, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and as you as you look that up, I mean, I think
0: prior to this announcement coming out, the, the company was trading at somewhere north of a four billion dollar valuation. And so um it might be like four point two, four point three. Yeah. And so a six billion dollar deal winds up being, you know, about thirty, a high thirty, maybe low forty percent premium.
1: Yeah. So if you look at um, 2018, when this company was just trading at its peak, it, it fetched a market cap of over13 billion dollars. So in less than uh, 18 months, if they're going to be if, if, if $6 billion dollars is the true number, uh, boy, is that a big haircut in a short period of time? and it shows you that they kind of realize that things have changed. Things have changed, and
0: you know the the market cap for that company is probably going to track with its market share to some extent. You know, talking about the the importance of being the winner in a winner take all market. You know, as we start to see some vulnerabilities there and other people hop in, it's only natural that that valuation is going to come down a little bit. Um, one of the other interesting elements of this is that this is a stock for stock deal, and so while we're while we're seeing that six billion sticker figure, what the real negotiations are here are, you know, how many shares of Uber are Grubhub shareholders going to be getting in this deal? And I think I've seen, uh, you know, Grubhub pushing for 2.1 shares of Uber and uh, Uber saying, you know, 1.9 feels a little bit more, more accurate to us.
1: Yeah. And just for a sense of scale, Uber's market cap currently is about $55 billion. Uh, so, this is a sizable uh, sizable bite for them, if in track that does uh, come to pass. That's going to be about uh, 10% dilution uh, for shareholders. I still think it makes sense, but that's just something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. And, and if you're thinking about Uber's overall business, you know this is a ride-hailing company, first and foremost. The, the meal delivery part, Uber Eats, is uh, something that they've rolled out over, I think, the last four years, I'd have to check that. But it is much younger and is a much smaller part of their revenue contribution. Um, This would be a pretty big commitment for Uber, saying, you know, we're, we're getting into this market and we're getting in in a really big way. This is going to become a much larger part of what our financials look like
1: if they want to own the market i mean this deal just makes sense <laughs> and i do think i do think i know that this is a big growth growth avenue for them and we, we didn't touch upon this yet but uh prior in in previous conversations grubhub's management team has basically estimated their total addressable market opportunity uh, at, more, at about 200 billion dollars uh, in gross sales so that's a really really huge market if uber can uh if if this deal goes through and Uber can successfully use its network and its vast uh, vast uh, network of drivers to really make this market work. That that's a big revenue opportunity that Uber could be going after.
0: Yeah. And and it's worth noting here. I mean, Uber also not profitable. Uh they they're not bringing money in. <laughs> um and they do actually have a decent amount of cash on the balance sheet. Uh if you look you look over, I mean, they have just short of 9 billion dollars. Uh, in, in cash and short-term receivables. Uh, long-term debt is short of that. So, that you know, if you're looking on a, a long-term debt basis, they do have a positive net cash position. But the stock-for-stock deal obviously signals they'd rather hold on to the cash. Kind of interesting, though, they they put out a $900 billion uh, convertible bond offering recently. So, so perhaps they are trying to bolster their balance sheet a little bit ahead of this. And and that seems to me to to lend some credence to the fact that these are some pretty serious conversations that they're having.
1: Yep. And in the financials for that convertible bond offering, they did note it could be used for acquisition uh, purposes. So, yeah. Uh, again, more, just another sign that this deal is uh, should be taken seriously. And probably, you, you can understand why both Uber and Grubhub are interested in this. But again, the big question mark here is, what do regulators think? That is an unknown <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, and the, the last piece of news, you know, we, we talked about how New York City and, and some other municipalities have talked uh, about putting out some new guidelines for delivery apps, we talked about this deal. The other piece of news related to these companies this week that I want to touch just quickly, Brian, is uh, Uber provided updated policies for maintaining customer and driver safety during COVID. Uh, and so, beginning in just a few days, May 18th, uh, a maximum of three riders will be allowed in an Uber and passengers cannot ride in the front seat, I believe all drivers and passengers are going to be required to wear masks. Um, I, I'm actually surprised that this just came out. Is, is yeah. it just me, or is, or is that like a little
1: late? Uh. <laughs> what took so long? Uh, my goodness. And I wish they would just always make a blanket statement about passengers were not allowed to ride in the front seat. I never know what to do, when I'm about to get in one. I'm like, do I be rude and sit in the back, or is it rude to sit in the front? So I like that they have a policy, just sit in the back.
0: Just sit in the back. Yeah, I think I think this is a no-brainer um, and and hopefully something that people don't have too much uh, of a problem abiding by. I mean, the only reason you need to be in the front seat, Brian, is if you're riding with four people. And, you know, based on this new policy, only three. Um, so, even that number seems a little high to me. I see the folks out on the scooters uh, in, in D.C. still. And the idea of sharing a scooter, given everything that's going on in the world, is not something that I'm too keen on.
1: I can't imagine being an Uber with three with with three people plus a driver right now. That seems a little nuts too. So, but hey, I mean, boy, their business has really been impacted by this. So they got to do something.
0: They got to do something, and and maybe that's why you know they're looking to this meal delivery option as well. You know, it might, it might be for Uber saying, you know, this is a chance for us to diversify a little bit away from something that uh, is, is pretty prone to being disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, this is uh, meal delivery, while there are, there are a lot of issues going on with the meal delivery market, um, clearly something that's pretty essential for a lot of people right now.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Um, Brian, I think we're going to wrap our taping right there. Thanks so much for hopping on the show with me.
1: Always great to be here, Dylan.
0: <laughs> Even if you're just okay, I thought the episode was great. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we're there. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today, the metaphorical glass. He's sitting at home. It's Friday, so we're going to be playing things out with checks and balances by full time fool Burke Ingrafia, one of my all time favorites. For Brian Froldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and
1: Fool On. I've got a min-